Hey listeners, welcome to this week's episode of Escape from Plan A. We're going to do it a little bit different this week. I'm actually going to post audio of an interview that I did with Marcus and Karthik over at Left Flank Vets. Uh, you can find them at leftflankvets.org. Capitalism runs on blood and war is the top donor. Left Flank Vets are a leftist anti-war cooperative of post-9-11 veterans fighting against military recruitment efforts. I think it's worth checking them out. from Plan A Magazine. Welcome hey. in. Hello, sir. How are you? What's going on, fellas? Good, Glad to good. hear you guys uh, finally got to get your drink on last night. Um, Karthik, you don't you don't look messed up, man. You look fine. You, you look like you're weathering. <laughs> you should have seen time. me yesterday. <laughs> oh, <I see. laughs> now, um, we've actually, you know, like been able to kind of have a, a few talks, but we wanted to bring you on today just kind of be able to speak about your 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 project that you have uh with uh with some of the fellow asian dias- diaspora um but then also kind of get into some of the uh cultural issues conflicts that are kind of going on in the united states um so if you would please if you could just describe what is plan a yeah i'd say plan a uh it's we call it a magazine it's really sort of like uh, a podcast plus a patreon and a website um where the primary goal of it, I wouldn't say we ever really had a mission, but the primary goal of it uh, was just to stoke more Asian people, particularly in America, but all, you know, all throughout like Western diaspora to sort of speak more openly and frankly, um, especially these days where, you know, politics is sort of um, a lot less bland and a lot more full contact than it used to be. And I, I, I am convinced that, you know, like me, a lot of other Asian people in the Western diaspora have very strong opinions on stuff, but often are, are maybe a little bit afraid to express it or don't know what the, how to merge into the, the, uh, the conversation. And so I think, I think if I was to state a goal, I don't, I don't think we ever said this formally, but if I was to sort of summarize the goal of it, it would be that. And, um, I guess too is like yeah, like how long have you guys been running, and and also like, like how would you judge your you know success thus far by that goal of being a you know a voice to uh, you know Asian people who have <laughs> largely kind of been sectioned off into like I think too is like this has to do with like some of the model minority myth of like well you're just supposed to you know be quiet and you know go to work and then that's it because you're the model minority not like these loud african-americans over here you know so mm-hmm. yeah if you kind of get going to that of like <laughs> a little sure. bit too yeah sure i mean here's the thing is i think we've been successful by our own standards which is like you know we we've got enough of, enough trash that none of us the original like seven people who started this all of them are still on board after five years and we're still having fun doing it and um that wouldn't happen unless I think, and you guys might feel this too, is like, you know, you just need enough to make it feel worth your while in terms of, you know, feed, like people responding to the message. And I think for us, it's always been uh, more about the depth and quality of engagement than sort of like total numbers, right? So we've never gone after like YouTube numbers or anything like that. Um, but we're re- really looking, like, I think Patreon kind of more, is is really more about depth of, engagement than scope than scope right yeah so i think we've been successful on that front and uh like but in terms of like let's let's take the model minority myth uh i i don't think i think we reject i think in a in a large way we've moved past the notion of model minority i think that just like the whole notion of asian americans as a spoiler race has gone i mean there's like 20 plus million asians in America alone. Uh, and so I think the old model for one race being the spoiler for, let's say, the racial grievance of another has been replaced in my view. And I've confirmed this with, I think, other other people who do similar work as us, but who are not Asian, like uh, black friends who look at the same thing, 
And we found that what has happened is instead of using one race against another, which I think is um, kind of an older model, we now have this sort of intra-racial, almost a class divide, where you have like an exceptional class within the group that is used to represent and speak for the entirety of the race. And these, this is a very small group of people that become, and I think this has happened, say, with Black Americans, that there is sort of an mm -hmm. exceptional media class that goes on CNN uh, or that holds high office or whatever. And from the perspective of the rest of America, this class of Black American is representative and speaks on behalf of, with permission, for all of Black America. And that model, I think, is happening with Asians too, but in a more, maybe in a more niche way. But I think we've confirmed, or at least have validated that that model is happening. Um, hmm. And, uh, and, and like, I think, yeah, you like make great parallels. And, you know, um, uh, Pascal Robert from uh, Black Agenda Report and This Revolution, you know, describes him as like the black chattering class, hmm. you know, yes. and um, yeah. like, Van Jones or uh, Joanne Reed, you know, we could go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. um, the current press as, secretary is also yes, uh, yes, yes. Haitian, the Haitian uh, sensation, uh, Karine mm. Jean Pierre. Um, but yes, and like these people are chosen to speak on behalf, and and that's the thing too is I think with like the uh, that the like the stop Asian hate uh, like like you know movement or or, or uh, like issue and that was that was raised um you're gonna get especially you know like from from <laughs> the elite class is like this type of rush to representation yeah and that's you know and in some cases too you know like um like orono is one of the representatives um i'm i'm i'm, I'm blanking Easy on the yeah, yeah the, on the senator's name who was was tammy duckworth maybe duckworth she's like, yes yeah she was you a, know uh, yeah. yeah which she's another one where like they they kind of trot her out anytime there's something to be spoken on and then they're like hey we, we speak for all asians in the united states you know this is kind of how things are going and then you know um i guess so, so going off of that how do you how are you able to cut through those narratives with you know not only just like obviously like the asian community because like i i don't i'm not going to assume you're only writing and doing podcasts for <laughs> the asian community um but yeah how do you cut through that narrative to to say like hey you know these people are going to sell you down the river um not only to the asian community but then like also more widespread of as to like why people non-asians who may be wanting to help in certain cases whether it has to do with like you know, breaking certain cultural myths, you know, how did you not, you know, how do you cut through that to actually not just end up, you know, supporting these representations that don't actually represent us? Uh, that's an interesting question. I haven't really thought about it before. I think my the way I'd answer that is that we tend not to speak too directly about politics. I mean, people have different politics, right? They have different views about foreign policy. They have different views about domestic policy. Like, it's complicated. And so I think for us, we tend to avoid that to an extent, though I think we have that in mind, right? But I think that we probably approach it a little bit more from the perspective of like, uh, I know this is gonna, uh, I'm trying to avoid certain buzzwords that have been misused, like lived experiences. But I, I, I do think like we try to connect more on just sort of like everyday individual experiences that we go through um, which uh, can either be either frustrating or under celebrated, under recognized, or just something, just something that like connects our experiences to each other to say, oh yeah, there is like this, um, there is this thing that you go through in American life as an Asian person, which is not necessarily bad, but it is unique. Uh, and so I think we often just talk about sort of like everyday life kind of things. And that way, I think you start building a bit of, um, building a bit of like credibility in terms of saying like, yeah, you know, we experience the same things you experience, whether, and, and let's, you know, it's funny, like a lot of this stuff is stuff like people don't really like talking about, like, uh, the, the the strange dynamics of dating as an Asian person in America, 
not a particularly politically charged subject, but you would be surprised how quick the pipeline is from addressing things like that into um, larger yeah. investigations and interrogations of like how America works and how, you know, um, how, 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 how race works in America, things like that. Yeah. One place where, uh, sorry, yeah, go ahead. No, uh, no, one, no, place, one place where I kind of saw, um, see a way in which like the chattering class especially is in, is in more, as much as like it, it, they typify a particular type of like Asian American archetype, like a person uh, who has a certain kind of set of qualities. It's like always the nerdier kind of cap, a person, uh, always a, a kind of uh, a person who has to overcompensate with humor, which is uh, something that I perceive with uh, Indian Americans, especially like you have to be funny for some reason. And like, yeah. if you're not, you kind of don't even have a seat at the table in that that sense. And like, especially among women, you have to be overtly sexualized and like uh, kind of uh, more of a, a, a more of a loud mouth in a kind of way, not like and, and the guys are introverted. Uh, that's something that I've noticed. Uh, but like, I mean, uh, as much as like uh, you would, uh, I, I'd like for you to uh, kind of clarify of course, like there's all kinds of people. That's so, so that's like the easy answer out of it. But like as much as to clarify what the point of doing something like that is. Another thing that I, that I find the chattering class, at least in the Asian side, uh, to uh, typify is a, an approach to that. And this is like I can say it's true for India as well, like approach to diaspora as the kind of savior for them. Like it's in, in a kind of way, like leaving their respective home countries was the way by which they achieved a certain level of like emancipation or liberation or whatever. And like uh, you look at those countries, like whether it's China, whether it's, you know, Korea, whether it's India uh, or Pakistan or Bangladesh or whatever, uh, they're all like the third world, you know, like you kind of got out of it and therefore you kind of deserve like a, a kind of liberty that you enjoy here. Uh, so I think like one of the ways in which I've seen planning, at least like uh, the, I, I don't I can't claim to know all the seven, but at least like you and uh, Eliza. Or, uh, I think um, yeah, some, some, tweet, some tweets I've seen um, here and there and like podcast episodes where you seem to have an approach towards um, the, the the home country, so to say, that is not necessarily just a negative. Oh, I'm, gl- I'm glad I made it out of there kind of way. And like uh, before we get into like, you know, the, the actual positives of uh, whether it's China or like you know north korea or whatever like uh, we can would you like to talk to this whole like feeling of like you need it's like america saved you and mm. and how you fundamentally should be in disagreement with that uh, as as a concept if you kind of want to do justice to the communities from which you come yeah that's that's a that's a super important that's like very core point i think one of the best commentators about this on twitter is is yasha levine who calls it the weaponized immigrant. And, um, I, you know, it's kind of ironic, Kartik, that you bring it up with respect to Indians, because isn't the isn't there a term called ABCDs, American mm-hmm. Born Confused mm-hmm. Yes. And there, there, so there seems to be a consciousness about this from the Indian side of it, right? That 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 the diaspora is in a way confused and, and lost, maybe e- easily influenced would be um, a connotation of confused. And uh, Tammy Duckworth, I think, is an example of this. I know there's plenty of um, Asian Americans who are uh, uniquely weaponized, and Yasha Levine points a lot of this out. One of the one of the most striking examples of this that I remember personally is at the uh, Democratic at the uh, at the D- Democratic National Convention uh, during the Hillary versus uh, Trump campaign, and they had a Pakistani American family come out. And I believe their son uh, had been killed in Iraq. And um, the father, I think, I'm sorry, his, I'm blanking out of his name. This is the, uh, but this is the father that kind of got into a dust up, with, you know, with Trump. With Trump, yeah. Yes. And yeah. so he comes out on stage and this was a, he was a headline event because at that time Trump was seen as being, you know, he had, he had proposed the ban on Muslim immigration. Uh, in, in, into America until we figure out what's going on with the Muslims, he said. Yeah. So, like, I'm not defending Trump on this at all, but it was quite a sight to see a man shilling for a woman who supported and was instrumental in starting the war um, that made him lose his son. And mm. 
and putting that back onto Trump, who had said ugly words for sure, but probably had more credible anti-war history. I'm not saying very credible, but of yeah, people, like, and that's the, at least in rhetoric, you know. Yeah, at least in like, rhetoric. At the very least in rhetoric, he was way more anti-war than Hillary or any other, you know. Yeah, and like yeah, but but the optics of that just didn't catch on. Like I was trying to point this out on Twitter. I, I just don't think people saw that irony because the the um i don't know there, there, there's just something about i don't want to call it's not necessarily identity politics but but the fact that trump says ugly words you know about muslim people in a way that offends our sensibilities immediately tilts it so that this just seemed right it seemed right that he was pointing a constitution and almost blaming the loss of his son on trump when i was like actually it's the woman that you're campaigning for who is right. much more directly responsible but that yep. was just lost because i think we're we're much more ups we're much more interested in sort of these um domestic racial dynamics of like saying the right things um being racially sensitive and politically correct so much so that the uh, the, the the irony of that was just totally lost on people yeah and i, I mean like and I think it's too is that uh, it, it, it's honestly kind of left with the that that false dichotomy, right? Where in that instance, that father had to choose between Trump, who's saying shitty things, and you know a lady who like her responsibility is covered up, you know, or even any culpability with Iraq, you know, like that's kind of even like bringing it out to, to to modern day things where you know war crimes have been discussed quite a bit. You know, in regards to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, com it completely ignored. You know, when it comes to the U.S.'s illegal occupations and wars. You know, when it comes to uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, supplying weapons for Israel. You know, and they're they're apartheid state against Palestinians, uh, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE. You know, we give them weapons as well, and like it. These these things are not actually contextualized at all. You know, and so, yeah, you end up with a father who, a grieving father, you know, who ends up, yeah, like, for him, there's really no good guy there, you know. Yeah. He, 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 the right answer should have been his own press conference talking about how the United States government is full of assholes, but, yeah. you know, we can't go back. Yeah. yeah you know, in a, in a way, like, um, kind of, this, this brings me back to, like, even considering the core question of, like, why people immigrate to the united states i'm someone who's moving here uh, who's moved here and like you know i i kind of asked myself this question and i don't think that i have a clarifying answer at any point in time because like it just so happens that like after a while it becomes your i mean like you come for one purpose and then like it be, it kind of becomes part of your life etc um and then after that like to to divert from your current path it becomes like a little bit of a challenge but then the thing is um more crucially i've seen like and this is kind of reflected in the immigration system itself and the structure of it, that like you're given asylum here, like you always flee from an area. And also, and interestingly, uh, these are all like nations that kind of countries that actually have uh, feel the impact of either direct U.S. occupation or, uh, you know, some kind of meddling in, in the in the vicinity. Um if not for which you have to be like, you know, you have to buy your way in here. Like you have to like, you know, swing your dick and like bring so much money that like they'll give you the green card. One of the things that gets you a green card is like literally cash. Like if you have a certain mm -hmm. amount of cash that you're investing, yeah. if you buy property or something like that, boom. You're, I think you're they call it the investor visa. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So so it's like if you reflect that, like culturally, if you analyze this, it basically becomes this question of like, uh, you either are coming here begging for the United States' help or you write royally, like, just, like, come in uh, with your, come in swinging with uh, all of this money and you're like, yeah, and now I buy my place here. So, yeah. uh, and this is, this seems to be the only two kind of trajectories to immigration, like, uh, this the settler uh, colonialism, if you would like to call it. You're either, like, you know, you're, you're begging for your place here or you kind of buy your way in. Um, how does that like uh, reflect in the in the in the kind of like status of uh, in as you've seen among among like especially in the Asian American community 
um, yeah. and other communities as well like how does this reflect in the attitudes both politically as well as socially yeah i mean it's tricky it depends on the specifics i can talk about it broadly but there's there there are very specific ways this manifests like the way with uh, vietnamese refugees after the war um you know their their political alignment with the united states goes way back and has to do with you know the the prosecution of that war um and so that that's one form but i think generally speaking like broadly i mean i think you're right i think uh leaving aside the investor uh visas for for the moment your ability to buy in as an immigrant i mean i think the story of the settler colonialism of america is inverted from the way the ideology tells us immigrants to feel and i think one way you can look at this is you know if you look at um if you look at how success is talked about in america if it's a if it's a a white guy or a white american uh we tend to focus on like say let's say uh, elon musk who who's an immigrant i understand but he's white yeah um that we talk about um the 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 hard the the sort of like uh values that uh, individual traits mm-hmm. that allowed someone like elon to make it to the top right mm-hmm. his inventiveness his grit his determination his innovative thinking and all this stuff but if it's a if it's a non if it's a non-white uh immigrant or person in fact um then we talk about how the system allowed them to succeed mm-hmm. right and i think one example is the prevalence of south asian ceos in silicon valley that that is often described as wow these people are really taking advantage of our system versus like wait you know like isn't it something some insane number of engineers are are iit grad in, in indian india institute of technology graduates that they've built silicon valley right like uh it's it, it we don't like the, the the story really has been from in the settler colonialist perspective that we, that the people here represent the capitalist class that are already here that are owners that are landowners that are capitalist capital owners and they needed they needed to import labor right and so who really did all the work was the immigrants and the uh the slaves and all the imported labor that was brought in but but the story that's told is wow our system allowed these people to succeed and thus we be you know the chattering classes emerge because we're thankful we but we believe the story and the story is wow america allowed me to achieve my dreams versus Holy shit, you know, I put a lot into building America. America is what it is off of the backs of people like me. And America should be thankful that I'm here and I didn't even get my fair share. Let's not yeah. even talk. Well, let's talk about, talk about going back to like reparations. I mean, this is what it goes down to. Where where is the where was the equity uh stake in what they built? Was that ever paid out? No. But the, I I think that's why there's so much power and force behind um the 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 weaponized immigrant the thank you know the thankful immigrant who's just happy to be here even though they're toiling away and yeah, their labor is being yeah, yes. their exploited. labor is being exploited yeah. right so they are the backbone of america and 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 in fact we do say that they're the back, like but but to appease them and to flatter them but ultimately the goal is to develop this personality of being thankful towards america and 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 not really demanding that like wait i think i'm being underpaid under this h1b visa yeah that's right it, yeah what you're you know like what you're describing it reminds me of this uh this like video i saw um a few, like a, like last week where there's an employee and i think it was at like a burger king some type of like fast food chain worked there 27 years and like really like you know stated like impeccable record you know like not a lot of missed days and all that type of thing 27 years and the video was him saying this is what they got me for 27 years at work and he got the same job and he pulls out a lanyard some lifesavers and like the old school roll of lifesavers not even like the new gummy kind you know he got two pens like a gift card to Starbucks and and that right there and he, and like the thing that's like messed up like I don't blame this guy but he was like he was happy he was thankful yeah this was like That's- like the only extra thing that apparently he had gotten in 27 years you know with with real no realization of like actual how much he's put into that company and how much that only they owe him but every single other person that works there 
They owe him a share of profits. Is what they own. They owe, yeah. they, they, they owe him part of the franchise. At this point, yeah, they owe him a no. store. Like this yeah. dude needs it. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. wild. It's mm-hmm. wild. But um, yeah, no, and that's where uh, I think you like to make an extremely good point of 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 just yeah displaying of like in in so many ways that this country is like a multiracial like framework that was as far as how it was built um but then obviously the the spoils right the 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 actual um the the benefits and results of all this hard work only goes to you know the select elite which does is also multiracial that's kind of like the 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 like the framing of the like white supremacy alone doesn't actually tell the whole tale because as we mentioned earlier you do have that chattering class and it's for black people, for Asian people, for Latinos, you know, like they will do these type of representations in all ways to keep all of the actual workers, you know, in their place. Um, yeah. But there's something I did want to bring up too that um, you have this with this, like uh, the expectations for these immigrants to kind of like talk down on, on on like where they're coming from and be thankful and all this stuff like that. There's also a constant framing, you know, with certain countries, China to be specific, um, where every no matter what happens, it's always bad. You know, oh, hey, China shut down a a, a city, you know, because of a a covid scare. Uh, They end up, you know, like two people died. This like the whole like how many thousand saved but at what cost? What cost? The, the supply chain. At what cost? And 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 Karthik, yeah. you put it out recently that even in the the case against abortion that the Supreme Court, uh, you know, like they the, uh, denying, you know, or overturning Roe, they had stated that well, ch- places like China and North Korea offer abortion at twelve uh, weeks. I saw that. Twenty weeks. Yeah. Or twenty. So we really can't do that type of stuff. <laughs> um. <laughs> So yeah, I get like for one, I'm I get wondering how does how does this whole stop Asian hate type of thing even resonate when it, there is that constant barrage of you know certain countries are always bad, um, but then also too of like yeah like how how do you you know confront that and 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 and, and kind of deal with that in the community? That's a hard question. Uh, the 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 link. Yeah, I mean, I think the link between the rise in anti-Asian violence in America and this tendency to be xenophobic about Asia uh, is is certainly connected. Um, The question is, what can we do about it? Frankly, I I don't see that. uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's practical to say we need a change in foreign policy thinking because on, on behalf of Asian Americans. Now, I, I just say that because I'm being realistic and, and, I, and I think Asian Americans are gonna suffer what we suffer and uh, I'm not happy about that because the, the brunt of it is usually borne out by the most vulnerable in our society, the women, the elderly, the poor, right? So they're the ones that suffer the most for this. Uh, I think that the reality is there's gonna be some, with respect to the diaspora population, uh, really, the only answer seen in America, and it's always been this way, is a measure of self-help. And I think black radicals realized that in the '60s, ain't nobody gonna help. Nobody gives a shit about anybody here. Okay, it's not. It's not just they don't give a shit about Asian people. They don't give a shit about black people. White people they don't give a shit about other white people. Nobody gives a shit about anyone here. It's self-help. Okay, let's face it. So for for that, I think there is gonna be a measure of community building, interdependence within the community, and I think a measure of for for better or for worse. You know, a measure of, of of suspicion and skepticism about broader coalitional movements uh, that I think mostly lead up the chain to um, liberal progressive uh, politics that are now sort of, ha- you know, ha- have been co-opted and mainstreamed by the Democratic Party. So I think there's going to be a backlash against the Democratic Party. We've seen a backlash against the liberal progressive wing of that in places like San Francisco and the recall of Chesapeake Bean and things like that. That will continue. That's going to keep happening. That'll happen here in New York City as well. Okay. Uh, as for the, you know, <laughs> about the demonization of China, I mean, my it's annoying. I, I, I find it irritating. But uh, I would say that China doesn't really give a shit. Uh, China's <laughs> dealing with the U.S. at a level that goes well beyond what you're saying in the newspapers. and. How you know? I think a lot of the 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 the, the annoyance 
of this comes from, at least by uh, diaspora, comes from a sense that the the Western press is being unfair towards China, and therefore unfair towards Chinese people. And my view on that is like, I don't think China really gives a shit about that too much. I mean, to some extent, you know, they don't like, yeah. the, you know, I think Which, with Russia like, too. I think that's like a very good like point to make is, mm-hmm. you know, if you actually like pay attention and, and can you know, like understand where China is, you know, as mm-hmm. an economic global power. So whatever the Supreme Court justice says, you know, no. it's yeah, exactly <laughs> right. They're too busy with their own shit <laughs> yeah, exactly. to worry about this. Right. Brush it off. I guess that's why, too, of like, I think that. That it, it is something that like is probably just more for the brunt of the diaspora, who yeah. has to deal with you know ardent racist or you know reactionary people who receive this message. Literally, wow. see anyone with you know uh, like <laughs> specific characteristics, and then go you know like then you know some type of verbal or physical assault. Uh, yeah, um, I think I think the consequences of this uh, this need to demonize. Um, you know, countries that are not supplicant to, you know, the U.S. international rules-based order or whatever you want to call it, uh, Russia, China, Iran. You know, I think particularly with China, because they call, they're, 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 they call them a, a near-peer competitor or whatever. They're kind of kicking our ass in a lot of, in a lot of ways, in, in ways that we care about, right? Like in industry and stuff. Uh, we're, we're starting to come around in America. I think we're starting to come around to the idea that we're in a state of denial and it's not leading to anywhere good. And I actually have seen a turnaround in the media lately. Uh, today, I think there was an op-ed by, um, uh, I, I don't know what her role, what her job is or whatever, but she's lives in the Solomon Islands and said, can you really blame us for turning towards China? Let's look at the record of the US and Australia when it comes to us. And uh, the New York Times printed this. And I've seen more and more uh, a growing, a a real inflection point now where the media is starting to pick up on the notion like, wait, we can't just keep lying to ourselves, (laughs) right? Like we actually have to compete now because like reality is against us and we can lie to ourselves, but we're just going to keep losing. And I think that's happening in Latin America. I think that's, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, Latin America is probably the biggest story, geopolitical yeah. story that's getting zero, virtually zero attention. I think maybe the Colombian election finally woke some people up and are like, whoa, yeah. this is a string of fucking victories for the, you know, for, for, for left and president. AMLO, the, the Mexican president, like he's, yeah. he's, I, I, he's been going at the, like U.S. hegemony. I mean, more than I've been like seeing any other, um, uh, central or uh, like Southern, uh, uh, South American countries like leadership do. And it's like, I love it. I'm here for it. And I agree with you. Like, this is like the biggest, this is the biggest thing that's happening on the world stage right now mm-hmm. is the South American push to the left. And like, yeah, and Mexico really having their back. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of amazing to see. And the thing mm-hmm. is too, is like they, a lot of it is basically based out of support from, you know, China and, and, and Russia uh, yeah. over decades now. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a there was a really interesting thing that I read from uh, Chomsky where he said um, Latin America tends to be a lot more democratic than the U.S. in the sense that the candidates are actually very far, very far apart uh, between the left and the right, and you have a much wider range of politicians. And so the U.S. always has a favored one, obviously, and said short of doing a coup, like if the wrong person wins, like short of killing this person, what they'll do is called something called a capital strike, which is the immediate removal of American investment capital if the wrong person wins. So you start pinning economic decline and underperformance to the to the to the left, you know, to, to the to sort of like socialist nationalist type uh, 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 candidate. Every time that guy wins or that woman wins, everything goes to shit because of the US capital strike. And it seems now that if there's other sources of capital, you know, uh, from from Asia, uh, that dynamic kind of breaks you can no longer just unilaterally punish uh the election outcome by saying okay we're just going to withhold investment because now you're just ceding market share to the chinese you know and so that's why you've got argentina you know the argentinian president going over to to china and stuff and saying 
what I'm saying is I don't think that they ever felt supplicant to the United States. They just felt like they had no other choice. Hmm. Um, so I don't yeah. think it's necessarily a, a wake up in consciousness. I think it's just like, oh, market conditions have changed. We don't have to listen to the Yankees anymore. Right. We've, we're getting better term sheets from across the Pacific. Fuck you guys. You know, so. Yeah. And it's like, uh, it, it's kind of. I think one of the things that you're pointing out with the with the change in the in the even in the media sentiment that like you know they're actually acknowledging this reality now or at least beginning to we don't know if they actually are going to stick uh, with this because like as you can see uh, especially with the Asian chattering class and this is this is what's happening a lot of these articles that are decrying um, you know China's debt trap diplomacy etc etc are like uh, largely written by uh, or like at least they are tried to be uh, you know assigned to uh more asian american voices and so like when someone uh oh, says yeah. like yes. yeah when someone says like you know this is what's happening in china and uh, I, i mean like i i kind of heard that even um when they interviewed in bbc interviewed debora brotigam who's like the person who actually clarifies the myth of uh, this dead trap and actually it's it's fake uh the bbc misquotes her and actually um makes her uh, when she explains the concept she kind of they kind of make it seem as if she's actually agreeing with them but she's actually not she's explaining the concept to say that that she's not agreeing with this characterization that china is actually trapping people in debt uh so given that i think like this is kind of what is uh, becoming like a more inter you pointed it out correctly that it's like more of an inter community kind of clash where there is a group of liberal um asian americans who are totally fine with uh, upholding the status quo narrative on china on like the us policy and like uh, for some reason feel incentivized to do so in fact like feel completely vindicated in doing that and like um and and they also reflect a, a certain kind of class um you know priorities and a certain kind of um even in community priorities like maybe they in india i can in the case of indian americans i can say that like they also come from a certain kind of caste priorities because that exists that kind of classification exists in indian society um i i i'm not too familiar in in other asian american societies and like you could you could speak to that but like how do we have this uh, when we have this kind of intra community clash of both class pri- class priorities and priorities among other divisions that kind of manifests as uh, an outlook towards uh, whether it be china whether it be uh, india or whether it be any other country um it's it's it feels like it's being hashed out in the united states it's almost like the narrative needs to get like you're you're fighting to make sure this narrative gets out or like that there is a counter narrative uh, of course like the the way that we go about it is like to have independent podcasts like your uh, your own and like uh, others that kind of try to okay hang on this is not the picture they are not getting the full picture from these people they're lying to you or or they're fabricating it uh, so much uh, which seems like i think to come to a sort of clash uh, come to a head uh, between these two uh, points and this is i think like my question which is uh, either your um, rep- it kind of brilliantly represented in popular culture uh, itself like how there are a group of asians uh, asian americans indian americans etc south asian americans east asian americans who want uh, more representation in that um, you know uh, the white supremacist like uh, interpretation of culture or whatever um our capital centric interpretation of culture like american capital centric interpretation of culture versus the group of people who are daring to defy it um in many forms and i think like there's there's a component of it that is uh, trying to be more disciplined uh, on on as like principled as like leftists or socialists and then there is also a faction like you know the Wesley Yang uh, Kim Iverson types who are like kind of being more uh, comfortable with being more reactionary libertarian etc so mm-hmm. it's kind of like an interesting uh, uh, like assortment of perspectives that are kind of having it out over here so i guess my question is like how do we navigate this space and like how do you actually play up the voices that are actually trying to i mean i mm-hmm. guess like to tell to yeah. represent reality in a meaningful way i think My starting point to that question which is a very tough question is that I I don't think any of this stuff ultimately adds up to much anyway. Meaning the chattering classes are engaged in discourse that's really meant in my opinion to be a distraction. And uh I think of the analogy of like a bullfighter where the discourse is the red fl- is the red flag that's meant to take 
the bonafide anger and motivation and energy of the people and misdirected at things uh, like media representation. Uh, misdirected at, I think a lot of these chattering, they're meant, you know, their, their goal, in my opinion, like, and I saw this happen in the New York Times, for example, not only do they put a lot of East Asian uh, names, and like, like conspicuously Chinese names where they don't have like, say, a given a Christian first name or whatever, uh, on the byline of any article that's like hawkish against China to sort of like wash the... You could take it at a literal sense, but I think in another sense, there's 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 a consciousness of saying, well, you are going uh, to piss people off specifically. We're trolling people with this. We want you to get angry. We want you to fight about this. And uh, I noticed that a lot of them are winning. And so when they get attacked, I think, and I saw this happen at the New York Times to say, wow, there's this concerted uh, effort to attack women, you know, whatever. And to me, it's all, you know, the more, I, I think in a way, it's like the bull going after the red flag. It's like the more you're pursuing this discourse, the more you're falling into the trap of what they really want, which is distraction, subterfuge, misdirection, you know? Um, and so the, for me personally, I, I'm not part, I don't think the quote discourse is particularly relevant one way or another. I think the whole thing is a bit of a head fake. And uh, I don't know for, I mean, I, I'm not, I, I, I don't know if I'm necessarily self, describe myself as a leftist or even particularly political in, in, in action. I do think that the thing that people fear, uh, those in power do fear is, uh, is consciousness is, 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 is people thinking for themselves, um, and pursuing their own interests because, uh, you need people to work against their own interests and, uh, you know, you need to be, have people who are thankful for being underpaid and stuff. Uh, in China, as an example, and here's a proof that I'm not a Chinese nationalist or very pro, you know, whatever. Um, there is an online movement called Kangping, which literally means to lay flat. And the, it's, it's kind of a beautiful little thing. It's like, it was a reaction against the, the sort of like overwork and over ultra competitiveness of the educational system, the ultra, com com the ultra competition to get into high tech sector and make, you know, make a lot of money. A lot of young people felt like it was hopeless for them and that it was too competitive and they had no shot at it. And they said, look, I'm going to lay flat because if I lay flat, the shears of capitalism can't cut me off. Right. So it's like, I'm not even going to grow. And I think, you know, a widespread consciousness of being like, man, this game is rigged against us. I'm not going to participate. You know, that happened in America. And I think that things that were really threatening to America were not actually organized political movements that were going after, you know, because I think those are very easily distracted and head faked that we saw with BLM, that we saw with Occupy. I mean, those, once you get organized, it's easy to co-opt the leadership. Once it has structure, you can co-opt it and then, you know, it's, it, 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 it's over. I think what's really uh, threatening, and we've seen this in the, in the US, is, a, is just a mass tendency for people to decline to participate in the labor market at all. Uh, it's, it, this is, this is really fucking the system up. We're getting, this is, this is throwing real sand into the gears of American capitalism. It's not an organized effort. It's the total lack of organization of saying, I'm not going to participate. Um, I give up. And that's what I think they really fear more than some organized revolution, uh, is my, is my, is my personal take. Like I, a lot of people disagree with me on this, but I, I just think it's an underexplored aspect of this, which is. What happens when people just don't have motivation to continue on anymore? You got to give people at least a reason to get up if you're going to take it, uh, if you're going to exploit them, right? You got to at least, get, I, they, they got to get themselves out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> so, and this also mean, happens I, to be the theme of Beyonce's new song, like the great resignation and stuff like that, right? <laughs> which is, yeah. which is kind of the, the whole like quit your job kind of thing. I mean, uh, there is a certain level of, I feel, uh, you, you were right to kind of point out that like there is a certain level of privilege or like uh, at least a notion of like, you know, if you would have to take some cut, you, you can't like afford to, um, you, you know, you, you will lose some money over this or like you will lose some power position status, etc. Um, and I think that like, uh, especially in the in the present, like it's 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 hard to, you know, imagine that. Uh, being like a, a point of cat a catalyst for anything because uh, there's already like you know with the inflation stuff and like uh, we're definitely headed into if not already in a recession um, and so on like so there's like a pretty uh, sizable 
sense of like you know despair um where a lot of people i feel like and in fact uh, some of the decisions that you pointed out there's a lot lot of like i mean with the data point that like um people are divesting from the democratic party uh, that that's that doesn't mean that they're like staying back home or like that that even sometimes means that they're voting for republicans what good that does i have no idea but like that seems to be uh, some kind of like people want to do something like as opposed to there is energy to do something so to get get people to like not do something at this point i feel like um i don't even know if there would be a possibility for that because they need to make the money that they need to make that i feel like people are more more willing to take bigger risks than before right like than it, ever now well well i would say that it is happening and i think that's why uh there is a there is a, a labor shortage and i think it ties into what we started this conversation on with too there's also been a real cutoff in the immigration pipeline into the united states hmm. so i think if 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 left to if left to our own devices in the way that we've sort of oppressed uh workers and suppressed their wages and uh really just treat treat workers like shit uh the only way to uh you, I mean any system is going to collapse if you do it so much that the laborers just say fuck it I'm not going I'm not coming to work there's no the game is so rigged why would I even play now if nobody plays the whole system falls apart and we know this through the concept of like say a general strike we know right like this will kill the system but the thing is I think when America you can always kind of avoid that by bringing in new fresh imported labor right mm-hmm. the the immigrants is where the source of motivation is one they they've been fed lies about the united states right they come in with uh uh i think most immigrants come see the reality of america and realize it doesn't quite measure up to what what they 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 were told about it right <laughs> sold a bill of goods <laughs> yeah, right? yeah yeah so so i think that uh the but the us relies on that sort of like fresh replenishment of forces right and and the new immigrants come in they put competitive pressure on existing labor here and it keeps the game alive and now i don't think it's any coincidence that we're seeing a general loss of labor participation uh the rise of wage inflation they call it wage inflation but it's just increasing wages which is a apparently a disaster for america <laughs> to rise to raise wages and uh and at the, i don't think it's a coincidence that that's happening at the same time that the immigration pipeline has basically shut down which is not in the news um but yes. that is the case which right? and that's something that yeah that i think you very important to touch on is that it's not even necessarily true you know and i think that it is the the notion that there is a caravan of workers coming across the southern border you know every 10 minutes it seems like now um because they need to keep up that narrative like they're coming they're coming right now you know um and it's always it's always based off of these economic fears of you're going to lose your job um and i think actually this overlaps with technology as well you know as as, as like a concerted effort as a way to like keep like the labor force in fe- like in fear of oh if you just make us wait uh, ways your rages like we're just going to bring in machines which is impossible like yeah. the you the ai that that threat of you know complete automation it is it is just a fucking well, it's a lie yeah. yeah um yeah. so that's and like yeah so that's where that type of of consciousness and understanding um would really yeah that really kind of hurts the you know the 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 elites the people in charge you know that 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 need and they like just absolutely cr- like literally yeah rely on that exploitation you know in order to keep these things going so yeah and i think that shows you that there are two sides to integration right i think the 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 democrats and the liberals have have treated immigration uh itself as uh a sort of like a sort of like mercy program granted upon the world like we will it's a, immigration is our is 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 something that we have blessed the world with the ability to come and be with us you know but really uh that's a pretty story that's wrapped around um a real need in this country to replenish mm. uh the exploitable labor population because we use up our labor and then we just throw it out and you see that all over america you see just broken people uh with just no options <laughs> with nowhere to go we've just discarded them and we need to bring new people in right so 
that process is so, I think, unsustainable that it ultimately just collapses itself. And it's almost like you don't need to organize against it. You need to just not participate in it, starve it rather than topple it. Uh, I don't think it can be toppled. It's too, it's too heavily armed. <laughs> it's too rich. It's not, you know, you, you don't go full frontal attack. I think it's got to collapse from the inside of its own weight. And you're seeing it, it's happening. It's, a, it's, yeah. it's already and happening I, for us. I think there's like also things that like need to be incorporated. And especially since like, especially from like, united states you know <laughs> a person like that like looking you know outward is that yeah you know like the likelihood that some internal organization is going to be able to gain you know like gain power within the united states you know mm -hmm. control and then like you know like basically yeah give you know like give control to like people so yeah. that they can create societies it's it's more likely that you know some of the things that we talked about where china you know, along with uh, pretty much like like very like certain sections across the, the world, building an, an alternate at you know like an alternate economic world for you know a lot of the other countries, and then yes, letting the United States uh, collapse onto itself, um, mm -hmm. which yeah. is is uh, it, it will force people. I mean, it, yeah. we're in such a mess now. I think that. You're actually. I think. I. I think we're actually going to start seeing significant changes in the way policymakers talk about stuff because they're like, you know, when you're just fucking with people's conceptions and ideas and distracting them or lying to them or whatever, you're just playing a parlor game. You're, it's just like, hey, we can do whatever the fuck we want, and then it's just like, what kind of lies should we tell them today? I don't know. Yeah. And then it's a cocktail battle of whose lie to tell. But when you're confronted with actual reality and the CPI prints eight point seven percent and the GDP is going to be down for a second quarter in a row, and you're seeing interest rates go up, and you're seeing a recession, and your businesses are getting fucked up, and you're not, you're, the money stops flowing, then it's not a cocktail game anymore, and these people got to get real, you know? Yeah. Their, their bottom line's getting hurt now, too. So, you know, I think I think the, the problem with America is that we've been in a 40-year economic bubble, hmm. and it has allowed those in power to basically do whatever the fuck they want. Right, because it could just print money, right? So you want to just throw your workers away and bring in new ones? Okay, you do it. If you want to do, you know, whatever, whatever the fuck. Shut you the do, shut you the do factory it. down. Ship yeah, it over the, to whatever. It doesn't it doesn't fucking matter. You could do whatever you want, but now when the economic realities of this whole thing uh, start to splinter through the floor, uh, and it's making the people very, you know, the people in power very very anxious. Uh, you know, they're going to have to start being fucking more responsible about things or they're going to see the whole system crash before their very eyes. So I think in a, in a way, it's the best of times and the worst of times. And, uh, you know, they, they're, they're always talking in the newspapers about how the people who are going to hurt, you know, the liberals love to say this, the people who are going to hurt the most are the bottom, you know, the poor, the, the poor and the working class. Well, yeah, but you know what? We also have the least to lose. Really? Right. So if you think about it in that term, it's like, well, why are they telling us? Why are they telling us that we have to vote? Why are they telling us that we have to organize? Why are they telling us that we're the most susceptible? It's going to hurt us the most. We're the ones with the most to lose. Inflation hurts us the most. I'm like, you know what? A lot of people don't have much to lose. So how much can it really hurt? Because they've already been acclimated to the pain. Right. So I think the people who are in fear the most are, are the people with the most to lose. Um, so fuck them, <laughs> you know. Like, okay, well, you have to sort your own shit out. I don't know. So, I'm just taking a different approach here. I'm yeah, no, no, I, mean, I think it's like yeah, pretty poignant. Uh, to, to, I, like, I'd, I'd like to, if anything, see see it through to its conclusion, right? Like you you're you're putting a kernel, you're taking a kernel of an idea, and I can I can I can really appreciate that. Like I think basically what, especially if you invoke the black radicals, black panthers, especially, um, and like where are you based? Are you in uh, California or like in? New York. Uh, New, you're in New York. Okay, so yeah. I mean, I thought that you were in uh, LA or Oakland for 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 a second. Uh, I like, but like LA and Oakland, but yeah, New York City. Yeah. yeah. So um, if you are invoking the Black Panthers, then you're not just looking at self-help from from the point of view of like apathy or like a, just a rebellion. You're kind of like taking care of our own kind of attitude that you're bringing into the picture. And like especially, and and you were right to point out that like the, the extent to which like the Democratic Party losses uh, for certain 
um, you know, in certain areas, like you even pointed out the Chesa Boudin recall and stuff like that, which did have and does have like a significant like Asian uh, American component to it uh, and, and, and stuff like that. And there are like certain, um, I mean, like even the concept of uh, there's no rules and that's kind of how America operates. Uh, I would argue that like there are, there's a, there's a strain of the US, uh, the democratic socialist uh, platform itself that uh, does like um, have this, you know, tries to weaponize this uh, as a way of like as a way of moving towards a more egalitarian society. And I think like it's it's reasonable in a way where it's like, you know, if you can afford to do this, you can afford to give people healthcare and stuff like that. So it's like if you can afford to to do blah, 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 you can actually set up a Green New Deal and, and stuff like that. And a lot of it actually does derive from this point that like you can print money here. You can actually like you know, the Fed can actually do this kind of shit. Like, the only thing is you got to tie it to the back of a federal job guarantee and stuff like that. So that's the program I've, I've seen, at least from a democratic socialist uh, standpoint. Um, so clearly you're pointing to something that is not exactly in line with that or like uh, maybe you support views uh, that are like that, but like at the same time, you are also pointing out uh, a kind of self-help uh, where the community is able to take care of itself. So what is that going to look like is something that I think uh, comes to immediate, immediately becomes the question. Well, I think self-help is very limited in terms of like personal safety, things like that. In terms of economic activity, you know, we need a national economy, we need a global economy. I think I, I unless we were prepared to really regress in terms of our living standard, and I don't think people want to do that. Um, so I, I think that when I when I talk about self-help communities, I'm not I'm not a you know I, I'm not talking in terms of an economic sense. I mean, we're all going to be bound to a national economy one way or another. Uh, I think is the reality of that. I think with the Dem Sox, you're right. I think they're, you know, they they, they have interesting, uh, they have an interesting view uh, of economics. Uh, I think informed by MMT, federal jobs guarantee is an MMT, you know, Randall, you know, uh, Stephanie Kelton type of uh, idea it makes sense. But I think the problem is that it, it came to prominence at a time when inflation is going through the roof. And so that that was their own self-determined limit as to how much Fed printing we can do. We're already obviously then way past the limit by their own definition. So the timing on the MMT economics that the Demsocks favor is not really well timed. Uh, what the future holds here, I think, is just un indeterminate. I mean, I think we're at a point where it's just like nobody knows. I mean, if this if America was like a like a series like a TV series like the best season ever, we have no idea what's coming next. <laughs> we have no idea. Nobody yeah. has a very good theory, but we know something big is about to happen, or it's already yeah. happening. Uh, and and so I don't know. I I think that uh, I'm just trying to inject a little bit of optimism here, from but through the back door to say like, you know, I, I think the capitalists are really fucking scared right now. You know, and for for workers who have endured, you know, 40, 50 years of wage stagnation, it's hard to really get them riled up about what I think a lot of people are sitting back waiting what's going to happen because it's like, what what do what do they have to lose? Uh, what do if you look at Americans? I'm like, so many work, work American families are so fucking straddled with debt. Uh, they're kind of like. Uh, I don't know, like, either either you just clear the debts and we, you know, we have a debt jubilee and let's just fucking start over and let's just equalize and, I don't know, do something big. That would be a revolution. Yeah. I mean, that that's increasingly that, like, looking, like, the fact that we're flirting with stuff like just straight up debt forgiveness is nothing I've ever seen in this country before. That flies in the face of some of the most deeply held ideological beliefs in America, which is that you pay your debts. The fact that we're even talking at a mainstream level about forgiving debts shows the depth of what we're dealing with here. Uh, so it's Which, pretty interesting. Like, like, yeah, and I think that like where and something that you'd hit on earlier of like, well, like, hey, you know, like this is the big season um, is because like <laughs> yeah. having to discuss those things shows right of where mm -hmm. this country is shifting, you know, but only in a sense rhetorically, which makes that upcoming thing you know mm. it's going to be even more uh i guess yeah it's like there's going to be more friction built up because you know like you said right black lives matter me too this it, like 
pushing for student loan debt, pushing for more climate change, uh, literally any of these, like any of the things that have gotten people motivated to, you know, do some sort of, of, of public, you know, quote unquote political action hasn't really come to, you know, like there's no results that are coming to fruition. And that is going to, that's building the more tension, you know, so that like, who knows, right? Like what, you know, what series of events that are going to come, you know, close together that, that, that really <laughs> start having people say, I'm just going to lie down. Yeah. I'm not I, engaging I, with this <laughs> anymore. Um, that, that's totally, I'm, I'm going to lie down, but I'm going to pay attention, right? Like, yes. Which, I think, I think I'm watching to yeah. see what's going on because I don't think there's shit all anybody can do about what's going on. I don't think, I think the big story is that we've lost control. I think mm. I think the, the authorities have lost control. The Fed has lost control of the economy. The government's lost control of the economy. It's lost control of the foreign policy situation. It's lost control of Latin America. It's lost control of China, of Eastern Europe, of NATO. It's lost control. Okay, they can't dictate. They can't go around just telling people what is going to happen anymore. They they've been exposed, and it's fucking scary for them. But they're trying to make us participate in their fear. They're trying yeah. to make it seem as if like we're the ones that are going to get hurt by their loss of omnipotence. And I'm yeah. like, no, I'm just watching, man. Yeah, I'm just sitting here watching. Me, but eventually, like... you have to do something for us because <laughs> yeah. you're going to lose control of us too. You know, it and that's, the, that's the, the final uh, straw, right? The so. James Franco meme where he's, you know, like they're at the, <laughs> the they're time. all about the head. Yeah, like oh yeah, <laughs> first time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, that's why I don't want to participate in their fear. Their fear is that their companies go bankrupt. Their fear is that the economy gets fucked. Their fear is that. Uh, you know, there's there, 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 the, the, all the all the pillars of their empire are starting to fall, and they they're just recruiting us um, to their side through fear. Yeah. And I'm like, for people who have suffered 40 years of stagnation or going backwards or whatever, I don't think they're really going to sign up to help you this time. Yeah. I don't think they're particularly feared. And that's why when you watch the news and stuff, I think mostly it's preaching to the choir. I think it's preaching to the professional middle classes, which is a small minority of people. They're 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 the lieutenant class. They're hitched to this thing. You know, they they're yeah. they're overlevered. Their kids are in private school. They're fucked, right? Uh, but for like the vast majority of Americans are sitting by going, shit. I got nothing to lose. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be you, yeah. you know. <laughs> Which uh, at that point, like we do, I do got call it there, um, but uh, and a good, I think a good point um, to leave it on. And and and, and honestly, too, I think this is like maybe the first time that I've actually you know, like heard someone kind of like articulate this description of the popular <laughs> narrative that's kind of going on. It's like, don't let them suck you into their fear. It's like, cause hey, like we have nothing to fear, right? We've got nothing to lose, <laughs> especially now, right? Especially now where Rose gone, you know, they're about to like take away the EPA. So any chance of like type of climate, you know, stuff like that. Some of the most important things of, uh, for people in general, but especially the next generation that's coming up yeah. are it's, it's, it's all gone. Yeah, you have nothing left to lose. Yeah, bro, the ten-year Treasury market ain't my problem. <laughs> it's your problem. It's your problem. I'm not gonna be worried about the ten-year bonds. I don't yeah. own any. But <laughs> thank you so much, Teen, for yeah. coming on. And do you, if yeah. you would please, you know, let people know where they can find you. Um, if you have anything big coming up, or or just kind of grinding day to day, like let people know where they find you. At. Easiest way to find us, just you know, subscribe to our podcast. Uh, any way you any in any method as to how you subscribe to your favorite podcast. Uh, the title is called "Escape from Plan A." Escape from Plan A. Yeah, there you go. Cool, cool, cool. And Karthik, thanks for hanging out. Always good to see you. And once again, it was very nice seeing you in in in, in real life. And we're gonna have to do this again sometime. Um, you know, there'll just Soon, have to be more yeah. media companies opening up and doing launches in in, in Brooklyn. Um, nice. Yeah, and and uh, I'll I'll get a little less shit faced. I think that's that's something that I'm gonna carry forward. <laughs> <laughs> Which is all good. All right, all right, all right. So let's see here. I don't even know. 
I'm gonna I'm I'm actually gonna boot you boot y'all um and then transition over to just the normal stream type of stuff. But thanks again. Right. And we yeah, it was fun soon. guys. Yeah, it was good time. Nice talking thank, to you. Thank you. Nice yeah. talking to you. Right. Peace. Catch you catch you next time.